Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is Aaron. Thanks to all of you who shared my First Things piece on the three worlds. It's getting a lot of traction out there and it actually hasn't even been posted on their front page yet or sent out in their newsletter. So hopefully that'll generate a lot more response as well. A friend of mine uh, texted me and said, your article's getting a lot of traction out there in Boomertopia. Three people independently have sent it to me saying, wow, this helps make sense. So Thanks a lot for sharing. I really appreciate it. And again, I want to remind you, if you have not yet left a rating or review on uh, iTunes, please do that. Really appreciate it. Helps with discoverability of the podcast. Today, uh, just going to have a short episode probably. Now, I've said that many times before, and it turns out that, oh, I go on for 20, 30, 30 minutes. But I really am going to try to keep this short and focused with an episode saying simply, you can't beat something with nothing, or as I like to call it, the Republican health care plan problem. If you go back to the early 90s when Bill Clinton was elected president, he put Hillary in charge of coming up with a health care plan. And Hillary came up with this very complicated, broke system uh, that her associate Ira Magaziner, who's famous for putting together very broke things like that, came up with. And it was derided as Hillary Care. And the Republicans trashed it and attacked it, and it basically went down in flames in Congress. Never won it. Then we fast forward to the Obama administration. We have Obamacare, and Obama had a 60-vote majority in the Senate. So even with the filibuster, they were able to essentially ram that through on a party-line vote. Uh, I believe this is when Teddy Kennedy died in office and actually deprived them of the one vote that they needed but they were able to use reconciliation and this and that to get it through. Anyhow, we have this system called Obamacare that we all live under. And Obamacare didn't get a single Republican vote. And Republicans have, of course, campaigned on, we got to overturn and repeal, replace Obamacare. Well, Republicans had complete control of Congress. And did they repeal Obamacare? No. And one reason they did not do that is because they don't actually have a replacement for Obamacare. And if you look over the last 30 years, the Republican approach to health care has basically been don't do anything. Democrats put forward proposals to do stuff, and the Republicans say, no, we don't want to do that. Now, there's one exception. There was the Medicare Part D uh, prescription drug plan that happened under George W. Bush. So there, there was something there. But for the most part, Republicans have never come up with a plan for the economy. And Conservatism, Inc., I did a whole podcast on whether they're shills for donors, and I said, no, not in my experience. I believe that conservative think-think people are very intellectually honest in saying what they really believe, but I did note there are some red lines you can't cross, and one of them is prescription drug pricing. There's a lot of pharma money in Conservatism, Inc., and if you go out there and start saying, we need to bring down some of these prices— uh, you'll soon find yourself ejected. You basically can't do that. You have to defend our indefensible, unconscionable drug pricing regime in which America is basically the only country in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to just gouge them. But basically, the Republicans never had their own plan. So we have a health care system that's extremely expensive that almost everybody is unhappy with. It's amazing. It used to be 20 years ago, pre-Obamacare, that if you work for a corporation of any substance and had employer-provided health care, you were basically gold. 
you know, you had your co-pays and you had your deductibles, but basically, you know, I'm insured, I'm gold. Now, even the people who have really great corporate health insurance are terrified that they're going to get hit by huge bills. It's happened to so many people I know. I knew some people who their kid had this RSV or whatever it is, went into the hospital and left and their uh, insurance company said, well, they stayed a day too long and there was no justification for it. So you owe us $25,000 for that extra day. I mean, imagine you go to the hospital, you're insured, it's in network, you do everything the doctors say, you, you know, you're not pushing for anything else. And then your insurance company says, sorry, you owe us 25000 And usually what happens in those cases is that uh, if you go through all the hoops and you complain and complain and escalate and this and that, eventually you wear them down and you won't have to pay it and they'll just eat it. But it's a nightmare. It's a Kafka-esque nightmare. Our healthcare system is bad in a whole host of ways, even if, yes, in some respects, we get great health care if you can pay for it. I think Americans are, on the whole, very dissatisfied with their health care. I'm very dissatisfied. I have to purchase health insurance through the Obamacare exchange, and it is astonishingly expensive. Astonishingly expensive. And, you know, so basically I pay, essentially I'm paying a very high amount of money for, in essence, catastrophic healthcare for our family. We don't get much covered other than sort of mandatory vaccinations and things like that. And you would think in this environment, the Republicans would put forth some kind of a healthcare plan that would address this, that might be popular with the voters, but no, they don't have it. And they never will have it because it's a party that doesn't believe in doing anything, doesn't have any ideas. They're basically like, well, the government's the problem, not the solution, free market, all these bromides. And, of course, they're all getting tons of money from the pharma companies. And so they're never going to come up with any solutions. And as a result, that's why we have Obamacare. We have Obamacare because in the you know 20 years or so between Hillary Care and Obamacare, and Obamacare is, in many respects has some gussied up elements, Hillary Care in it, uh, they didn't come up with any ideas of their own. And eventually, if all the other people are constantly putting forth ideas and your only idea is, I don't like any of those guys' ideas, don't do anything, you're eventually going to get steamrolled. Darren Beatty, who's former speechwriter for Trump, he's a PhD from Duke in political science. He was the only non-tenured, tenure-track professor in America who publicly supported Trump uh, in the election uh, in 2016. Uh, he was actually predicted Trump was going to win. He runs the great site Revolver News, revolver.news. Uh, really super, super smart guy. And he's got this line, silence is violence beats don't tread on me any day of the week. And the key is silence as violence is a morally imperialistic claim. It's an idea that advances and compels people into its moral vision, whereas don't tread on me is essentially the equivalent of the Republican health care plan. It's like, leave me alone. I don't like that. And if your only response to other people's ideas and other people's moral visions is leave me alone, and you never put forth a positive policy proposal, if you never advance your own moral agenda confidently, you will eventually get ground down and steamrolled uh, in our society. And this is very related to uh, a podcast I did a little bit ago on middle class values and how 
you know, conservatives love to valorize middle class values, bourgeois values, you know, hard work, thrift, all that stuff, which is great, support all that stuff. But there are downsides to middle class values that have always been understood by certain people. You can read the novels of Sinclair Lewis, again, H.L. Mencken, the aristocrats didn't like him, the artistic, the avant-garde never liked him, intellectuals never liked the middle class. And so it's easy to reflexively defend the middle class against, you know, these other people because we can always point to the flaws in them and say, you know, just because his lordship in 19th century England, Tory Squire, did not want all the hoi polloi coming out to their countryside on the trains uh, doesn't mean that, you know, we, we don't like that. Right? We don't want to, you know, embrace that sort of vision. We want to be more affirmation of uplift for the people. And there's great things in that. And I'm pro-middle class. And we need to be doing more for the middle class, frankly. But the middle class screw themselves in a lot of ways because the middle class just wants to be left alone. And I use this phrase, comes from the internet, grill Americans. All they want to do is go to their backyard and grill. All they want to do is watch the Indiana University-Purdue University game, which was last night. I'm recording this on, on a Friday for, for posting on Monday. All they want to do is watch the NFL on the flat screen. They want to go have wings at the little corner bar. They want to do their life, and they just want to be left alone. And I would like to be left alone, too. But uh, as, uh, quote, uh, frequently attributed to Trotsky, may or may not have said it, is you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. All kinds of people are out there advancing proposals, advancing moral views of society that very much have you in mind. And if your only response to that is, leave me alone, I don't like that, eventually you will get ground down and overcome. So you have to have some positive vision that you're promoting. You can't just be oppositional, particularly in response to legitimate problems like our healthcare system, like our prescription drug pricing, which is not good. We have problems. And if you say, well, I don't want to do anything about those problems, people are eventually going to turn to the people who will. And I think we see something very similar in talks about race and critical race theory. Everybody goes on and on about critical race theory, don't like critical race theory, don't like what's going on with the woke stuff in school. Great. I think a lot of it is flat out just anti-white hate at the retail level. You see it on Twitter every day. Be that as it may, what's your vision for race relations in America? And this is where we come to, you know, some basic facts that indeed black Americans are uh, not achieving at nearly the level of white Americans in terms of education, in terms of income, in terms of all these measures. And so there is a very real and obvious racial disparity that persists in America. And yes, you could say, we passed the Civil Rights Act, we passed the Voting Rights Act, we all these things that you know are designed to eliminate all of the formal barriers to racial achievement you know, uh, by minorities, and we've got all this affirmative action out there, and yet we still have this gap. And so what is the response that you would have to this gap, if not the woke response. And the truth is, people who kind of on the, the anti-woke train rarely ever advance any sort of positive vision on this at all. How should we understand these gaps? And what should we do about it? Just, eh, well, you know, we got rid of all these things, and so now society is fair, and, you know, if you don't make it 
that's too bad. Now, you could have that approach, but hopefully you can understand that if you have a large block of your country, 13%, I, I think or so, is are black, and are underperforming, and you don't have some sort of a, an agenda for what to do about that, uh, then don't be surprised when you get steamrolled because you're not advancing anything other than I don't like the other guy's ideas. And this permeates, again, conservative thinking. Much like libertarianism, it's, impractically speaking, an almost entirely negative identity. It's all about what we don't want to do as opposed to what we do, uh, you know, want to do. Again, this is Ronald, back to Ronald Reagan, his, you know, nine most terrifying words in, a, in, uh, in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help, which, of course, is ridiculous. Uh, people are very glad when the fire department shows up. They're very glad when the ambulance shows up. Uh, they're usually very glad when the police department shows up. Uh, and so you start thinking about that. There's a lot of things that we like that our government does. We like our, our parks. Right? We like it when the street gets plowed, uh, when it snows, all kinds of things like that. And so this idea that like the government is the problem, it's not the solution, okay? That means basically we just need to cut taxes, cut government. Now that is, in essence, a moral vision of sorts. Grover Norquist, I think he runs Americans for Tax Reform. He's famous for his pledge. Uh, you know, he wants every Republican office holder to sign a pledge to never raise taxes under any circumstances. He's got this line that he wants to reduce, shrink government to the side where you could size where you could drown it in a bathtub. And he definitely is a true believer. I've met him. He's a true believer in the privatize everything cause. And that worked in the 80s when it was clear that, you know, America was kind of sclerotic, that we had a very, very regulated society, although Jimmy Carter's the one that started deregulation. We had very overregulated industries. Tax rates were high, complex. And you could say, yes, the shrink the government approach reform the government approach is a valid solution in that space because we have this perception that there's a real problem with government size of it. You know, whereas today, I think a lot of our problems is we have, well, we have this opioid problem out there. We've got an income inequality problem out there. You know, we've got these racial gaps. We've got healthcare problems. We had all these problems and conservatives never actually seem to have any solutions for them. So there's this one kind of reformist conservative group I've mentioned before, American Compass. It was uh, founded uh, in part by my former colleague, Orrin Cass, former domestic policy director uh, for Romney in his 2012 campaign. And he's like, look, we need to rethink trade policy. We need to think about reshoring. We need to think about manufacturing. We need to think about these things. Hey, they've just been vilified, totally vilified. Uh, by most of the conservative establishment. In fact, they get more flack from you know conservatism, Inc. than they do from the left because they're calling into question this sort of libertarianoid vision of society. And in the meantime, all the people that are you know attacking him are the same people that are horrified by Trump. Right? Again, Trump was a solution of sorts put forth that says, you have real problems here in Youngstown. Vote for me and I'll fix them. Now, did he fix them? No, he didn't fix them. But there's legitimate problems in Youngstown. And what are you going to do about Youngstown? What are you going to do about these places? And if you don't have a solution, other people's solutions are going to be considered strongly by society. So if you don't have something, other people are going to be constantly, constantly, constantly advancing their vision of society. And eventually, 
they're going to get what they want or they're going to get a lot of what they want because they only have to win once. You have to win every single time. So I would just say, and this is, again, very key to mostly conservatives of you know various stripes and dispositions, this inherently, I just want to be left alone. I just don't, don't want to do anything. And again, there can be some wisdom in that, you know, the whole Chesterton's fence thing. Let's not tamper with stuff too much. That sort of impulse towards let's be careful. You know, if something's not broke, let's not, let's don't fix it. That's a good idea. Problem is a lot of things are broke <laughs> and we got a lot of problems in our society. And if we don't have explanations of those problems and programs for change, then you're going to lose. So that's what I say. You can't beat something with nothing. So if there's something that you don't like that people are promoting that you're fired up about, think about this. What are you going to promote in its stead and how are you going to sell that to the world? It's very important to think about. You cannot just sit back and say, no, no, no. Or what was that William F. Buckley uh, said? Stand uh, athwart history yelling stop or something like that. No, you actually have to have some positive solutions that you can advance for some of these problems. Maybe start with something that's, that's less, uh, you know, like charged. Uh, maybe it's healthcare is a good place because it could lend itself to some technocratic solutions. Maybe we could do something about prescription drug prices. That would seem to be an obvious one. So think about that. Think about the areas where you don't like it. Think about what is my solution instead. I'll talk to you next week.